Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey guys, sports betting season is in full force. NHL and NBA playoffs, we enjoyed those, and now football season is here. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. US, you can receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. No matter what the season, BetUS has all the games, NBA, NHL, team, player props, loads of NFL and college plays, whether futures or individual game odds. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA golf, golf and round matchups and live betting on most sports including golf. The online casino has hundreds of games and the race book has all your horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable and the Sharp Bet US mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and partner with a sports betting company with integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. Bet US. In the South, it's always college football season, and the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. There's a scenario brewing in Athens that will shock the Georgia fan base and horrify every other college fan. And I think it happens. It is the Chuck Oliver Show on a Friday. And Kirby Smart was talking quarterback yesterday. And he was, now I will give Kirby credit for either good, bad, dead, or buried whatever the uh, result has been. Kirby is not one to stand behind the microphone and just throw out bull spit. He's just not. I grew up, I was a little bitty Chuck, in an era where Vince Dooley and Lou Holtz and folks, it was basically every coach. No matter who the opponent was, man, they're long snapper. Maybe the best in America, not just the conference. 
Coach, do you know what conference Akron is in? No, but he might be the best in whatever, you know, not even just that conference. What is it again? That was what I grew up. Kirby Smart tells the truth. He's been pretty transparent. Hadn't always uh, been warm and fuzzy. But I don't think warm and fuzzy is really his goal. In fact, I don't believe warm nor fuzzy shows up anywhere on his list of priorities for the day. I don't think. So Kirby's talking quarterbacks. And this is the same coach who, when he first got the job, coach, what's your first order of business? Quote, we got too many little guys. That, we got too many little guys. Um, I think he was talking about, and I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to punch a young man. Uh, Julian Rochester one time. What, was it Rochester or Ledbetter? He said, well, yeah, when he's in good shape, he can move. I believe it was uh, Rochester. I just said the kid's name. Coach, what do you think about Julian Rochester? Well, when he's well-conditioned, which is not now, what? And if I'm not mistaken, I think he said the same thing about Jordan Davis as well at the beginning. So Kirby is, is kind of what you see, what you get. You know, I mean, and which I respect that uh, there is something that I've heard this put this way towards Kirby, not by me. And it's it, it is a measure of respect. And I've heard it applied to plenty of people in the past. But someone in Athens who's around him a fair amount, it's like we kind of respect Kirby because he's an a-hole to everybody. <laughs> I, I, you get it. At least you know where you stand. Well, Kirby's talking quarterbacks and how both are important and both JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett will play roles in Georgia's success to whatever degree it unfolds throughout the rest of this calendar year into what I believe the first two weeks of January. But Kirby said, you know, I think both quarterbacks will help us down the road now that JT is healthy or if JT is healthy. And you're going to see both of them in Jacksonville, I believe. And I don't think it will change the outcome one whit. I believe it will be a nice way for JT Daniels to get some on-field action once again because it's been a minute. So that's Kirby. And so when Kirby said it yesterday, I was like, okay, I believe him. We'll see how this unfolds. The scenario that is brewing in Athens is going to shock every Georgia fan, though, and just horrify me, you, and everybody else. Raise your hand if you're not a Georgia fan. All right, hands raised. Um, it's going to horrify all of us. Georgia wins a national championship this season and JT Daniels returns next year. This is not striking me. I don't know. Maybe November changes my mind. This is not striking me as the way a strong-armed young man from Southern California as a five-star quarterback recruit eventually limps his way into the NFL draft. It doesn't appear to me that that's the best way for it to happen. Hey, uh, so this is the NFL Combine interviews, and we want to know, JT, how'd you lose your job to that 5'11 kid? Yeah, well, uh, see, what happened was win a national championship, which I've already told you. I'm at the window, and I'm handing over my hundy. I'm betting Georgia. I will If you gave me Georgia versus the field, I get Georgia or everybody else. I'm taking Georgia. And I, I never pass on the field. Tiger Woods at his height 
Do you know what one of the betting options was? Tiger in this tournament or the other 90, what, Dan, 91 golfers? Yeah, whatever, 90-something golfers. I always took the field, just numbers. This time, I'm taking Georgia. So if that first part comes true, and JT Daniels looking around, what's your draft eval? Uh, Probably day three. Hmm, I need to play one more year. There's a chance Stetson Bennett could come back as well, but scenario, yeah, winning the Natty this year and the five-star stud transfer comes back for 2022. Shock the Georgia fan base. Everybody else looking around going, mm-mm, please don't say that too loud, Chuck. I don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Those are the two, those are the two reactions. JT Daniels returning in 2022 off of a national championship. King of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now, more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. There's a word that we have all heard attached to college football probably a thousand times in our lives. We probably even said it pageantry oh the pageantry of the game have you ever actually identified what that word means like have you verbalized pageantry it's just all the extra stuff that you don't have to have but it makes it kind of cool sometimes that's pageantry and a lot of that is tradition and i will tell you i love me some tradition uh, especially college football tradition. Uh, the the dollar bill does does not always have time to accommodate tradition. So you see traditions associated um, with a college football that, again, the dollar bill is overwhelmed. Have you seen the – like, you know there are schools now that have the automatic goalpost? Can't rush the field and tear down the goalpost anymore. You push a button and – and it's the goalposts come down flat on the field. There's nothing to rip up and steal. So – um third saturday in october used to mean something it doesn't anymore not really uh tv and divisions and all that took care of it um but it still is the uh the name of the rivalry with tennessee and alabama and um again one of the most uh tradition-filled rivalries in the sec want to welcome on now a guy who covers alabama every single day all year long and has for about two decades from bamaonline.com it is travis ryer travis amigo how are you I'm great, Chuck. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, you and I are of a, a, a certain enough age that we remember when it really was third Saturday in October. Um, and there's so much to me that there is value in tradition and preserving. And, what, and so we can still call it that, even though it's not actually that this year it's on the fourth Saturday. But um, that tradition, it matters, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly. To a certain demographic of both fan bases, that's definitely the case. Probably more of the, the like you said, our age and even up. But yeah. um, it's been a streaky series. That's just always been the nature of this thing. And you know, even if you go from late 80s into the mid-90s, it was Alabama. And then with Peyton coming in from about 95 yeah. until – Saban came along, it was about Tennessee. And since Saban's arrived in Tuscaloosa, 
it's been all about Alabama. Oh, you know, I was watching uh, actually the 97 game, um, and Phil Fulmer said, this is how you get measured as a head coach at Tennessee. How do you do in this series? And I was like, well, that's tough sledding lately. Um, and then the cigars, by the way, can I – am I correct? It, secondary violation that both teams willingly commit every single year, correct? I think so. Yeah, I think that's when they just sort of, you know, throw on that report you know, that, that makes news on, like, July 4th at yes. 5 o'clock. That's usually when you see that dump, right? July 4th at, at 5. That's when you see those violations. So, Alabama and Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is maybe the biggest example in college football this season of, wow, I've been wrong. Um, they're, they're not good on defense. They're better on defense. And I thought it was coaching suicide to go real fast and run a bunch of plays with new quarterbacks and new players and a new system and all that it's kind of working against the teams they have played to this point um talk before we talk bama talk your perceived threat level from tennessee i think it's health driven in this game you know and when you look on the offensive side of the ball a healthy hendon hooker has been very good in this offense especially in sec plays been a major upgrade over joe milton uh, Tyon Evans, the leading rusher for Tennessee, has been battling injuries throughout the year, but he's averaging nearly seven yards per carry. And then, you know, Cade Mays going down early against Ole Miss at the right tackle position last Saturday night. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard for me to call just how competitive this game will be tomorrow night based on not knowing exactly the availability of those three guys specifically. But I agree with you on the defensive side. I think they've been better. There's no doubt about that. And it's kind of ironic that at the inside linebacker position, James Banks, probably a guy we're not talking about enough um, for the way he's played so far this season. All right, well, let's talk about the Alabama offense and particularly the front there. And um, I, I, I'll, I'll say the name, um, Chris Owens. Uh, there are some folks who, out of respect, say, you know, and they're, they're lying, you know, maybe one or two of the guys having a tough season. It's, it's Chris Owens over on the right side. What is the idea about um, him and his spot in the lineup and, and how he has performed to this point? He's, he's had a couple of tough moments. He has, certainly uh, the A&M game, Michael Clemens. defensive end for A&M had uh, some highlight real stuff in that matchup but you know in fairness to Chris I think the expectation was that he was going to be the center you know where he is a much better fit I would say but to get their best five guys on the field together uh, that meant Darian Dahlcourt needing to play there on the ball and you know Chris has experience um, certainly at some other spots on the offensive line he's played across that front but you know, right tackle is where they had the biggest need. Um, I know some folks thought that maybe a couple of the five stars that came in early, Brockermeyer, Latham, might take over that spot, a la Cam Robinson or Jonah Williams from the past, but it just didn't happen. So Chris has been asked to, to play a position that probably not his best, doesn't suit him best, and you know, the results have been somewhat predictable. You know, I want you to hang on that point you just made because I brought that up a couple of days ago on the show. I was like – 
it, it just shows you the let's another commentary on the level that Saban has gotten the program to that we watched a guy like Jonah come in and say all right well he's a right tackle I guess he's good enough for that but he'll be left tackle going forward you know but he's only a right tackle right now um, because we were comparing him to Quanjo and Cam and other people who sh- Andre Smith who showed up and as a freshman played left tackle I literally was looking at Jonah Williams and going well he's only starting at right tackle as a freshman <laughs> I, I, that was silly yeah, if they had a Jonah Williams right now at right tackle, um, I think we'd be having an entirely different conversation probably about this offensive line. But again, this is kind of where they're at. And, you know, even J.C. Latham has moved inside and played more guard here yeah, of late. Yeah. So it doesn't appear as if there's sort of this imminent transition midseason or during the season that's going to take place at that position. All right, well, let's talk about defense. Um, and there's a difference between pain and injury. Um, but this is the time of season when guys that you're like, what's wrong with him? Or, you know, why is he a step slow? And you're like, oh, because he's already played seven games and he's in the SEC, et cetera. So talk either injury or he's playing, but, but he's not 100% right now, just on the defensive front I'm talking. Yeah, they're a little banged up right now. Byron Young went out. Uh, late against Mississippi State last weekend, and you know he's their top sort of playmaker inside. He and Fedarian Mathis have been those kind of guys. So you know when you talk about more of the traditional defensive end and a three-four look, you know he's been uh, dealing with some stuff here of late. And then at outside linebacker, obviously, which they use as sort of pseudo defensive ends in their defense with Christopher Allen going out in the opener against Miami, and then Drew Sanders sustaining a hand hand injury a couple of weeks ago. He's been out for a couple of games now. Doesn't look like he'll be back for Tennessee tomorrow night. They're hoping with the bye week coming up, they'll have him for LSU. So, yeah, when you talk about a couple of important spots, even Will Anderson, as we know, had the knee injury against Mercer that I guess, thankfully for opponents, has knocked him back a little bit. He still (laughs) leads the SEC and tackles for loss by a wide margin coming off four sacks last Saturday night. But, yeah, they're dealing with some stuff right now up front. But, as you said, that's typically the case for most teams and not going to get a lot of sympathy again from Tennessee with the injuries they've got on the other side. Oh gosh, no doubt about it. Uh, let's talk uh, covering downfield because you know everybody, I, everybody should have known Bayless Jones, but and and he's their big target. But it's not just Bayless Jones. Um, they have done a real good job of pushing it downfield, and Hendon Hooker can hit those passes. Um, talk about Alabama. I'm assuming a lot of man. Uh, a lot of cover one, and um, their ability to cover downfield against this offense. Yeah, they like to get you spread out and then, you know, still work between the hashes with the run game. So they seems like Tennessee gets you in kind of this six-man box, and then you know they take some shots on 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 the uh, on the other end of that with the passing game. And Hooker's been really good, completing 68% of his passes in SEC play, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's averaging right around 10 yards per attempt in SEC play. So again, you just can't underscore enough, you know, can't talk about enough the need for him to be able to go tomorrow night. But, um, you know, I think Alabama got some much needed production from Josh Job, Jordan Battle against State last Saturday night. Three interceptions between them, Battle with two, including the one for a pick six. And, you know, teams are going to keep taking shots uh, outside against both Jalen Armour Davis and Josh Job because. You know, I think uh, we see more pass interference calls than we've ever seen. So, 
you know, that's kind of the, the worst case scenario a lot of times when you do that. But no, it'll continue to be a challenge. You know, they had a little bit of a change here. DeMarco Ellum's been banged up. So Daniel Wright, a veteran, was in the lineup at safety opposite Jordan Battle last week. It'll be interesting to see if that continues to be the case uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, man, they got after Will Rogers last Saturday night, treated that kid like a pinata. Um, that was impressive pressure uh, from the get-go. Travis, appreciate you as always, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chuck. All right, Travis. Get him on Twitter, at Travis Ryer, and also BamaOnline.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network of Sites. Uh, they got all after Will Rogers last Saturday, and I don't know what the injury – Will Rogers, his shoulder ain't right. I can promise you, today, as I speak, his right shoulder, it's still black and blue. And you know the worst bruises when they're that green color? Like, he's got that greenish-brown thing going as well. So, um, that was the press rush, and they just need to replicate that going forward. Another great weekend of pro and college action. And let's get a look at the odds. Brought to you by BetUS. Hi, I'm Dan Matthews. Let's take a look at those lines. How about we start with LSU at Ole Miss, 3.30 kick just outside the Grove. Rebels favored by nine. They are minus 350 money line. Tigers are plus 290. Over under is 76. Clemson at Pitt. Panthers are the home favorite at minus three. Pitt is minus 155 on the money line. Clemson is plus 135. Over under 48. Alabama hosting Tennessee. Crimson Tide favored by 25. Over under is 67. Ohio State is at Indiana. Buckeyes, a 21-point favorite. Over under is 60 and a hook. USC and Notre Dame for a night game in South Bend. Irish favored by six and a half. They are minus 260 money line. Trojans plus 220. Over under is 57 and a half. Let's head to the pros. The Bears are at the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, 13-point favorite. They are minus 750 money line. Chicago plus 550. Over under 47. Monday night, Saints at the Seahawks. New Orleans, a rare road favorite, four and a half for this one. They are minus 220 money line. Seattle plus 180 over under is 42 and a half. How would you like to earn some money just by signing up for BetUS? Enter a couple of promo codes. How about SST125? With this promo code, BetUS is giving you 125% on a sign-up bonus. For example, your first deposit, $100, you're getting an extra $125 in your pocket. You're using cryptocurrency? No problem. Enter the promo code SST220. When you do this, you get a 200% sign-up bonus on crypto deposits. So if that first one is $100, you're getting an extra $200. That's a look at some of the odds from the weekend coming up in football. Brought to you by BetUS, America's favorite sportsbook for over 25 years. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. All week, all year, it's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. And tomorrow afternoon in Oxford, LSU comes knocking on the door for a game that the older you are, the higher the first digit of your age, the more this rivalry means to you. Um, the younger fan base, I'll say if you are 39 and younger, uh, you know about it, but 
you'd rather beat Alabama times 10. Uh, but Ole Miss and LSU, it goes way back, like to Halloween and stuff and decades ago. want to welcome on right now a good friend of mine. He is Afternoon Drive uh, in Baton Rouge and all through the state, actually. It is Matt Moscona. How you doing, brother? Chuck, I'm great, man. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Uh, how old are you? Can we talk about it? Is that a HIPAA thing? Are you uh, shy about that? <laughs> I'm 39. You nailed it. Boom. Okay. And is my, am I recalling like your father's LSU fan? I've, I've heard you tell me so many times about watching an LSU game with your dad. Is that right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So you grew up with an understanding of LSU and Ole Miss. So the way that I would say it is LSU Ole Miss, huge deal for my grandfather. For my dad, it would be Alabama from the 70s trying to beat the Bear. And you and I have talked about this for me. My, I'm in that sweet spot yeah. where LSU and Auburn was huge in the 90s and 2000s, so that's really my thing. Well, for Ed Ogeron, uh, Ole Miss is huge because it's tomorrow, yeah. um, and it is not to save his job. There is no Tommy Bowden scenario here where, like, three times at Clemson, he was like, ooh, I get to be the coach. I, I beat South Carolina. Um, that's not going to happen. It's a farewell tour. It's kind of keep him close to keep this friendly until you're gone and get your 16.9. But but Ed is super motivated. He doesn't want to go out looking like a clown. I mean, that has to be it. You know what else, uh, Chuck? The Ole Miss game ha- will will always mean more. Oh yeah, to Ed yeah, his so, past. Quick st- quick story. In 2016, when Ed was the interim, they beat an unranked Ole Miss team 38-21. If you go, if you walk out of the locker room in Tiger Stadium, the LSU locker room, and you're going toward the the tunnel where they they come out onto the field. On the left, there's this big wall of you know, of great wins in LSU history, dating all the way back, all the way to present. They every time there's a significant win, they add another. You know that they add a, a strip on the wall for the game, and it's all the ranked wins and the great wins and all stuff. They put that win over Ole Miss on the wall, beating an unranked Ole Miss team. Like, don't ever think for us. It was told to me back in 2016, for as long as Ed Ogeron is the coach yeah. at LSU, the Ole Miss game will always mean more because for him personally, how it ended there has always stuck in his craw. So, yeah, this, this, one, this one will mean, especially as the last time he'll go there as the LSU coach, going to Oxford, yes. they this will mean a lot to Ed Ogeron for many reasons. Okay, could I ask you, and this is just, uh, you know, you sitting back and rubbing your chin and thinking, hmm, I'm from Louisiana. I, I, I probably have an opinion about this. What is next for him? Um, it's not just the Ed Ogeron football camp every July. Uh, Nickel State, Northwestern, uh, Louisiana Tech. Is there uh, – what, what do you see in 10 years what will be added to his Wikipedia page? So, I, I mean, I don't mind telling you this, that I've been told he, he plans to do TV next year. That's, I mean, it, it, you may chuckle at it, but that's the intent. He'd like to do TV somewhere next year and take a year off of coaching and then get back into coaching. But, Chuck, I don't think it'll be as a head coach. I think you know, his next opportunity will be somebody at a Power Five scooping him up to do the thing that he's actually great at doing, which is be an elite defensive line coach yeah. and recruit your behind off. Yeah. So where is that? I mean, Everyone here is terrified that he's going to go to Alabama, which if you're Nick Saban, of course, that makes a ton of sense. Okay, now, so but, I, want, I wanted to ask you then. So he's OK. I don't want to use this phrase, but he's OK, quote, going backwards, because when I was saying nickel state and all that, I'm like, there, you know, there are guys who know I'm a head coach now. I don't know that he's OK with it, per se. 
I just don't know that that opportunity is going to be there, Chuck. I mean, realistically, you and you can say, let's see, he's a national Even for the coach. And look, Larry, Larry Coker got another head coaching job at, at UTSA. And it, I, but look at Gene Chizik. When Gene Chizik left Auburn, his next opportunity was DC at, uh, at North Carolina. No. So, I mean, if the Nichols job was open, would he be interested? Uh, maybe, but it just thought that's a that's a completely different world, and and it's I, I if I had to guess, Chuck, I, I just don't think he goes that direction. When when you can make more money and have less of the pressure of being of being a head coach, and you could be in the Power Five and play in front of and win, you know, pack stadiums and win all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think all of that factors in. I I think he'll end up back as an assistant. Remember, Chuck, he's 60 years old, too. Not to say that that's you know, the end of the road, but, you know, is, is he really going to get back in as a head coach somewhere yeah. in the next decade? Hard for me to see it. Especially in a place where, you know, September is going on the road, getting a check and getting beat. Um, yep. All right, well, let's talk uh, the future, not just tomorrow, but let's talk the future of the program then. Uh, who do you believe or know or want? And take it anywhere. Who do you, et cetera, on the sidelines for LSU next year? Yeah, that's depending on the way you ask it. Um, there's a variety of different answers. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there. Look, Chuck, it's 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 been very well. It's been made well known in in every circle around LSU that the new president at LSU, William Tate, who is the first black president at LSU, has a strong desire for for there to be a the first minority head coach at LSU. But you know, when I say that I think sometimes people misunderstand. Just because a minority candidate would be considered doesn't mean they're only considered because there's a minority, and that also doesn't mean it's the only criteria. I just think that's something that LSU is going to be very aware of with this hire. Um, You've heard James Franklin and Mel Tucker, and both are legitimate. Um, You know, Mel Tucker coached at LSU under Nick Saban. He has been hired three times by Nick. He certainly knows the SEC. I think one potential drawback there is – as I've heard, you know, Mel's moved like three times in the last four years yeah. from Georgia to Colorado to Michigan State. He's only he hadn't even been at Michigan State a full two calendar years. He got there a, a month before the pandemic started. So, you know, would he want to leave so soon? Um, I was told the, the initial outreach with Franklin's people maybe didn't go great, but I think that guy, you know, like I want a Vanderbilt. You give him the resources of LSU, and he would be a national championship winning coach. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin's name keeps popping up for a lot of obvious reasons. And if LSU gets to that next tier, which I don't think it gets to that level, but you'd be talking about the, the Jamie Chadwells or the Billy Napiers. But it's hard for me to imagine oh, that I would Scott Woodward gets that low. No. If, if they get that far down the list, that's that's about where they'd land. But I, I don't see that happening. All right. Um... UF found a way to throw a bunch of interceptions last Saturday, despite neither Ricks nor Stingley playing. Uh, tell me who took advantage of just the snaps, because with those two kids not on the field, there were probably 120, 125 snaps available. Who, who soaked them up? So Dwight McLaughlin is a name that everybody kind of needs to know. Um, yeah, he balled out. I think line. that's what the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> and that long line of, of – Peterson and Mo Claiborne and Tyron Matthew and I mean you all know the list. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, McLaughlin's the next one that looks like a pterodactyl on the outside. He wears number two and he, he had a pick six. He's really good. But I'll tell you, Chuck, the guy who has had the most incredible turnaround this year is Cordell Flott. So Flott was the guy that when you know say in 2019 when you had Stingley and Christian Fulton on the field and he's out there as a nickel. 
he got picked on. And last year when it was Stingley and Ricks, everyone was going to throw at that guy. Well, throwing at that guy this year has been a problem. Cordell Flott, I saw a pro football focus uh, piece where he's the most improved player in all of college football wow. by grading average this year. Um, and not only that, he has been the most effective slot you know, nickel corner in all of college football this year. Well, with Stingley and Ricks both being out, Chuck, they moved him to the outside, and he balled out last week against Florida. The, the interception LSU got on the, the Baskerville interception, the first one, that was Cordell Flott tip, you know, jumping the route, tipping the ball. I mean, that's a guy who LSU fans at the start of the season kind of bemoaned because he was the guy that always got picked on. Chuck, he turned himself into probably a day-two draft pick already. I mean, he's – his his transformation this year has been nothing short of amazing. He wears up. He wears twenty five, and look, he's going to get tested this week, obviously, with that Ole Miss offense. You know, I remember him coming out. Uh, I think he's from Sarah Land, Alabama. And the only reason I know this, yeah. he was he was an Auburn commit for a minute. Um, and I remember there was some sort of quote, maybe high school coach or somebody said he's kind of a slow burn. He's like, if if you just have a stopwatch and you watch him play one game, he's like, that's not what it is with him. The longer you're around, the more you realize how great he is. Um, because he was only a three-star recruit, wasn't he? So I mean, you would know the star ratings better than me, yeah. but he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't come in with the fanfare that the others yeah. have. That's very fair to say. Yeah. But that's also a testimony of a guy playing early and you know, who would have thought actually improving over the course of his career. Yep. That was a shot, by the way. Uh, Let's go up front. Mason Smith, um, that is just a really intriguing young man uh, because he is playing defensive end. And not like, you know, J.J. Watt is a, quote, defensive end, but he's kind of over the inside shoulder of the tackle or outside shoulder of the guard. This is – no, Mason Smith has played, like, real 4-3 defensive end, um, but also inside. What do you think – tell me about his blue sky. Oh, man. Um, I When he was a sophomore at Terrebonne High School, um, a good friend of mine, Mike Dettelier, is a longtime NFL yeah. scout uh, from that area, said he is the best big man I have ever seen in 30 years come out of the, the Bayou region in Louisiana. Evans. As a, Mike, Mike told me this, Chuck, as a, when he was a sophomore, like, there's a reason he was five-star number one player. And it's it's a little unfortunate this year that he's gotten kicked inside and out just because of injuries. They, you know, they plan to play him inside. Then, you know, Andre Anthony and Ali Gay both got hurt. Yeah. So they moved him out. Well, then they lost Joseph Evans on the inside. And so they moved back to the inside. So he's he hasn't stuck at one spot. Um, but the fact that he can play both is incredible. I mean, he look, he's that guy, man. I mean, he's the guy that's, you know, when it's his time, he'll be a top half around one guy in the NFL. And if he stays healthy, he'll play for 10 years and, you know, make a whole bunch of money. But he's a guy that when, when you, when you go into the lab and, you know, build the defensive lineman, that's, that's how they look, man. And it's, it's scary to think of him just as a freshman right now. I mean, you could, you could legitimately look, you know, you brought up JJ Watt. I think of guys like Derek Brown at Auburn. I, I think of guys like that, just, Dudes who on the interior in the SEC, there's a lot of college offensive linemen that just are not going to be able to handle that. Uh, last thing, and it's maybe God's own private mystery, but um, I had a buddy of mine, LSU grad, and he told me about he was at a sort of game-ish, watching party-ish with some LSU other grads. Okay. And he said that we're sitting around griping about this position group or that on defense. All of a sudden, everybody's quiet. He says, one guy looks around and like, Anybody seen that Mike Jones guy from Clemson? Um, 
this was supposed to be a really, really impactful transfer. What's his role right you know, now? It's non-existent. Um, so the, the quick backstory is, you know, he was in that Isaiah Simmons role at Clemson, kind of that overhang linebacker. Yeah. And he wanted to play Mike. He wanted to play on the inside. Uh, because, I mean, if you want to be a three-down linebacker in the NFL and make all the money, you, you got to play that position. And Clemson wasn't going to give him the opportunity. And LSU said they would. So he came down here. And what we've seen, Chuck, is Damone Clark and Micah Baskerville threw him out the boat. Uh, Damone Clark is leading is the leading tackler in all of college football right now. He's fabulous. Did I talk to you about him yet? I started no, watching him real close in the Auburn game. He runs. the. He's, he's like a soccer player. He runs the entire dang game. Every time you see 18, he's flying to the ball somewhere. I have, I could not be more impressed with him. That's And, Chuck, the, odd, the oddity is like Mike Jones came here because last year, Damone Clark was a fish out of water. He's always been able to run sideline to sideline. So, in like the game against Mississippi State this year, perfect for him. Hey, run real fast to the ball out in the flat and make the big hit. Perfect. But when you need him to be the guy to shed a, an offensive lineman and, and stuff a running back in the hole, that's never been his game. Just didn't have the instinct for it. He, he like Cordell Flott, has made a tremendous improvement mm-hmm. this year. I mean, Chuck, he's leading the country in tackles. He's a monster. <laughs> he's so good, man. He's he's made himself a lot of money this year, but that's that's what's happened with Mike Jones is the other two guys just beat him out and and we're just like we're not giving up our spot. And that's so Mike Jones has watched he's just watched a lot this year. Yeah, that's uh that is a mystery, ain't no doubt about it. Um what do you think happens? What's your bottom line? Oh, I I mean all summer I picked Ole Miss in this game and a lot of LSU fans didn't like it. Chuck I just look it, last week was so fun to watch LSU get that win, but they still allowed 500 yards and 42 points despite Florida turning it over four times. I mean, if Florida protected the football, they'd have scored 70. So I don't know how LSU slows down the Ole Miss offense, and I don't think they can score with Ole Miss. They're just not built to do that. So I, you'll probably see a lot of yards and a lot of points, but I do think Ole Miss wins the game. All right, friend. I appreciate you making time today. Enjoy your weekend. All right, Chuck. Do the same, man. All right, Matt Moscone from 104.5 and points – all directions out of there uh, throughout Louisiana and on television. So good for Matt Moscona, my good friend. I appreciate him coming on. All right, we break. Wrap up hour one next. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Sack of hammers on Tulane's collective head last night. 55-26. There's the final. Tanner Mordecai, he had three touchdowns. That was one of them. Tanner Mordecai, the former, I think he was a high four-star at Oklahoma. Stud. And uh, they took care of the green wave last night. SMU. Entering this week, which is we have one more week of rankings that don't matter, but entering this week of rankings that don't matter, SMU is 21st in America. 
They are now 7-0. and They are 3-0 and in their conference, which doesn't really matter for much. Because you know what the, um, the AAC is? I had a buddy of mine that does uh, color analysis for the Georgia State Panthers. And they're in the Atlantic Sun Basketball Conference, I believe. I think. They're in Sunbelt. That's Chuck, silly. Uh, Sunbelt. And he told me a couple of years back, uh, Georgia State had had a really good regular season, and they were like 24-3 and three or something. And he, they lost in the tournament in New Orleans. And whoever it was that beat them, might have been Louisiana Lafayette maybe, whoever it was, whoever, they get the bid. And I was like, man, that's tough. He finished with like 25 wins. He's like, we're a one-bid league. He says, that's it. He says, you can go 27-0 and in the regular season. If you don't win the tournament, you're not going to the NCAA dance. He says, just is how it is. The AAC is hoping to be a one-bit conference. There are no ideas about, hey, if undefeated Cincinnati and undefeated SMU, mm, that'll make for good TV. What did SMU and Memphis? They got national TV in the Liberty Bowl. See, that's the kind of thing that you need. And it was, it was I think it was Herb Street and Fowler and like, like the big crew. Wasn't a regional thing. So that's what you get. Nap State already won earlier this week, and that wasn't nothing either. They beat uh, they beat Coastal, so big deal as well. So um, again, that was uh, Tanner Mordecai, and Matt Barry from ESPN on the call. What up, Dan? Well, speaking of national brand, that's actually a nas- uh, a natural segue because Jimbo Fisher of all people talking about building a national brand at Texas A&M, which he's not wrong because any of you that know the dynamics of the schools in the state of Texas, you do have who, for the most part, it's very much like Alabama and Auburn where the Alabama fans, they're the ones that live in the nice neighborhoods. You know, they're the ones that uh, all their uh, sons and daughters join a sorority or a fraternity at school. And then, you know, they just uh, show up to uh, their games every weekend wearing their Oxfords and, you know, being, able to uh, go into the game wearing khakis now there's some of that naggy land but for the most part though it's farmers it, it is people who really embrace the western lifestyle everything that is they are very much the agricultural and farming school and all those different things but for him he's talking about yeah the state of texas has great recruits and yes we've got a strong brand here and we're really making some inroads with recruiting in the state but we got to be national That reminds me of when I first got here to Georgia and I went to Georgia's facility and this is when Mark Rick was there, mind you. I just happened to pick up a roster and I just looked at it and I said, where are all these guys from? I want to see, are are there any, is there anybody from anywhere else around the country? And he did do some national recruiting, but for the most part, the roster was G-A-G-A-G-A-A-L-A. Maybe some South Carolina, a couple of Floridas in there, a Tennessee or so. It was Who knows? Southern, and then they you would dot it with like a Matt Stafford or a No. Very, very much. You you that would, was it. You that's, dot it. That, that is you took the words right out of my mouth. You would dot it. But then Kirby got here and started playing, say at Notre Dame. You got national TV audience. Kids out there saying, Huh, that's cool in red and black. They look pretty cool. I like that. 
And then that season, they went out to the Rose Bowl and played against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. And there were kids out in California who said, yeah, hey, that school in Georgia, they look pretty cool. I think I might want to be a part of that. That's what Jimbo Fisher is going to need. He's going to need games like that. He's going to need opportunities. And he's going to need more of Saturday night two weeks ago to be able to reach that point. Because for the most part right now, I'm sure if you walk around and say the Los Angeles area and someone's wearing a Texas A&M football shirt, you're going to have a few people that say, huh, you play in the SEC. But if you are at a school that has a high profile and you walk around and have that shirt, people are going to be like, oh, man, that's cool. I got to talk to that person because I want to know more about that school. There's a pretty good chance if you were wearing a maroon T-shirt with a white block T ampersand M walking down Santa Monica Boulevard, people would ask you what that was. They would want to know, was that a club? Is that a, ooh, T&M, where am I going to go? Ooh, what, is that a new, no, 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 it's a school out in Texas. They wouldn't even know, I promise you. Um, but getting recognition for the, like, the G logo, yeah, Texas A&M's not there. Georgia, maybe. Alabama certainly is. The uh, the Tiger Paw, uh, it has kind of grown roots out there. That that's It's so funny because schools put in, 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 in companies and companies and, you know, all sorts of corporations put such value on brand recognition. Um, and you see a, a coach like Kirby show up at a place like Georgia and decide that's exactly what it's going to be. They played in Colorado. They played in Arizona State when Mark Rich was there. There was never anything big about it, and it was never anything permanent. With Kirby, it looks like it is. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.